Welcome to the Living to 100 Club podcast. Here's our host, Dr. Joseph Cassiani. Welcome to all of our listeners tuning in today. This is Joe Cassiani, your host for this program. And this is the podcast from the Living to 100 Club. Thank you for joining us and for being a member of our community. Here at the club, I promote the notion of Living to 100 and doing all we can, mentally and physically, to live longer and healthier. But I also like to emphasize that Living to 100 is a mindset more than anything, a metaphor for pushing ahead. So we can say that Living to 100 is a great destination or goal, but also if Living to 100 is not in the cards, we can always stay positive while trying. This is the important part, keeping the mindset that we want to live a positive life regardless of what the circumstances are. We meet every week to talk about successful aging, longevity, and about what gets in the way of living to 100. Our guests talk about strategies to live longer, healthier, and happier lives, and how to manage setbacks that inevitably surface for everyone. So thanks again for tuning in. Now, on to our podcast. Our guest today is Margot Aerosmith. Margot has three decades of experience in counseling individuals and families. We explore ways that adult children can help their parents make important decisions about their future. We discuss her book, You Can Keep Your Parents at Home, and her personal story of helping her father care for her mother and then caring for him in her home till his death at age 93. First, a little background. Margot Aerosmith is the author of the book, You Can Keep Your Parents at Home, and developer of the Love System, L-O-V-E. She's a licensed clinical social worker with years of professional and personal experience with in-home parent care. Margot combines her personal familiarity with aging parents and 35 years of counseling families to present a unique perspective and series of solutions to us assist people across the country and around the world keep their parents at home. Margot has a master's degree in social work from Hunter College. She's been licensed in clinical social work in New York and North Carolina. When her parents started to get older, Margot got to see firsthand how complicated, confusing, and frustrating it could be to find reliable, affordable care for her parents that allowed both her and them to continue enjoying each other's company, and maintain the highest possible quality of life. Margo is dedicated to helping both aging parents and their children have the best possible experience as parents age. Margo, thanks very much for joining us on our program today. Well, thanks for having me. I, I love any experience to spread the word. Great, great. I love to... Uh, have people share their expertise and their insights. So I'm looking forward to our conversation. I always like to open by asking our guests to tell us a little bit about the journey that brought you to where you are today. Well, it was actually a pretty long one. When I was a kid, uh, I had eight cousins and my brother, and my brother and I were the ones that, well, we were kind of mad to, but I'm so glad we did. We were the ones that had to sit and listen to Grandma and Grandpa tell their stories. Mm. Mom made sure. We did that, and I will thank her forever. I mean, I have stories that none of my cousins know about. But then when I was in high school, Grandma and Grandpa got sick, and they came to live with us for a little while, and then Mom found them a little apartment. But unfortunately, back in the 60s, which is when this was, 
there were no home health aides or home health agencies. It was very difficult, and Mom tried her best to keep them at home. She had a business, as with my dad, and eventually she had to place them. And it was a horrible place. It was it was dank, and it was just awful. And I and I won't bring us down talking about that. But a lot has changed since then, and most of it for the best. But it's but we also have to be careful about how it's changed. Sure. Uh, right after college, when I was, th- I didn't graduate from college till I was 27. I got a job working at an intermediate care center, which had people who probably could have stayed at home, but they didn't have enough money to afford rent in New Jersey. So they were here and, and they needed some care. But then right after that, I went and worked for Essex County Parks Department in New Jersey, but all over Essex County. That's where Tony Soprano was, by the way. And we had in the park, in a beautiful park system, and we had senior citizens clubs in the park. And these were people that would come out and they'd socialize and they would, I took them on trips, which was it's a whole other story, taking six busloads of senior citizens on a week-long trip. My mom and dad and I, they were in California, I was in New Jersey, and we all kind of settled into Raleigh, North Carolina. And I had a uh, 750-square-foot, two-story house in my backyard when I bought my house. So mom and dad went to live in it. It was wonderful. Mm-hmm. For a long time, but anyway, then mom started to need help. And, you know, dad had to do it. I, you said in that wonderful in- intro. And um, it worked out okay, but then mom, mom passed, and I had dad come to live with me. And what I found that was that there's a lot of hostility to keep parents at home, from doctors, from nurses, uh, a lot of people who are being marketed to be convinced about how everybody should be in, in well, they're called senior communities. I call them silver ghettos. I think that there are some people who love them, but people don't. And I think it's really a shame to take old adults out of the community. They need to be there, and the community needs them. Yeah. So um, the hostility you sensed from the medical community, the, um, the the message was, don't try to take care of your parents at home. Let us take care of them. We can do better. Was that the message? Exactly. Yeah. Pretty much, the, and I remember Dad had a, a for a while when he was sick, and he he got better. But he was at a period where he was pretty sick. So Medicare sent a, sent a nurse three days a week to take care of him. She loved my dad. Dad loved her. I loved her. She was wonderful. But she just was convinced that Dad would be so much happier and so much better off if he were living in an assisted living, and. I knew that he wouldn't because I knew my dad. He hated being around the thing, so it would not work for him. But they're just so convinced that there's this one place where everybody goes and socializes and they're all happy. And now that I've worked in them, seeing patients in them, they're not so much that way. No, of course, there are all different levels and uh, different uh, levels of care as well. So, yeah, but um, so how many years was it that you were um, caring for your father? Five, five years after five mom died, five years, and I always made sure, he did too, because he wouldn't have liked it, he had chores to do without, there was always something he could do to be useful, because he would have been very unhappy to not be useful. Uh, another reason he would have liked an assisted living, because they don't want to do anything, everybody does for them, they don't get to do things. Yeah, it's important to have that uh, 
oh, purpose or meaningful activity or something that, you know, helps them to wake up in the morning with a smile on their face and something to look forward to. And that's that's sometimes difficult to offer. Although well, and I'm they not generalizing, there are plenty of facilities that can do that. But yeah, knowing that they still have value, everybody, no matter how old you are, needs to know that they have value. That there's a reason for them existing, even above and beyond their own self. They need to know that they contribute to the world. Mm-hmm. Yes, for sure, for sure. We need that meaningful activity and to feel like we're still contributing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's- that's important. So um, currently, uh, we'll get back to more uh, about the recommendations and keeping parents at home. But currently, are uh, you working? You have a clinical practice. Um, I have a therapy practice. Probably now, about ninety percent of my clientele are people over sixty-five, people on Medicare. So that's the gamut. I mean, there are some people who just, you know, trying to adjust to you know, being old and, and, thing, and, you know, getting along in the world. But I actually have people who come into me in their late 70s and their 80s, and, and they really want to do heavy-duty, what we used to call analytic work. They, you know, they've had things, they've had good lives, by the way. It's not that their lives have been miserable, but they've had things that have just bothered them for so long, and they're like, gosh, I better do it now because if I don't do it now, you know, it won't get done. But there's so many people who think that once you're a certain age, there's no point doing that kind of work. So it's such a joy to know so many people who still want to work on themselves and become better people. Well, that's good to hear. I know when I started years ago, outpatient psychotherapy with seniors was not very common. Um, People tended to, you know, view therapy as, you know, this kind of long-term problem-solving readjustment, personality, you know, configuration. So um, I, I, I know it has improved and there's much greater acceptance for uh, for this kind of one-on-one counseling or group therapy. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm glad to hear that. 90%, that's virtually everybody in your practice. So kudos to you for... Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, great. What's also interesting is I have a few very young people. I have a, a young woman who's 22 and they don't, and a, a young man who's in his 30s and they don't seem to mind coming into a place called Silver Linings for Seniors and sitting with a bunch of old people. They, good, I mean, yeah. I actually like that. They're they're not put off by that. That's, that's yeah, good. good. We can learn from each other, right? Yeah. Exactly. Do you do any uh, any teaching or consulting or anything else professionally? Well, I do speaking. Uh-huh. Uh, I have a uh, sort of a speech that that it's meant to shake people up, but it's geared towards having people. Learn how to, as you said earlier, having to help their parents, but help them not by setting their lives up for them, but by giving them information instead of advice and then letting, you know, unless someone really can't, which is rare, by the way, and letting then the older person, the parent, make up their own minds about what they want to do. And I'm finding that one of the biggest problems in families, and it's really, it's hard on families, is, is that somehow the children have been told that they're the ones that need to suddenly take over. And it makes for a lot of unhappiness for a lot of people. And it ruins relationships. Sure. Yeah, and the the important element there, what you just said, is helping the individual, you know, providing information so they can make informed decisions. Exactly. Give them them whatever facts and figures or whatever is going on to let them make their own decisions. That's for sure. Sure. So... 
um, I know in your book, and you've talked with me earlier about this, uh, you know, the whole demographic change in the U.S. and the aging epidemic, and you, you describe this aging epidemic here in the U.S., and that's running out of caregivers and being, you know, the number of seniors, 70s, 80s plus, are uh, living longer and you know, going to require more help and more assistance. Tell well, us about this aging epidemic. Yeah. Well, as we and as we know, you know, since the COVID epidemic and shutdown, uh, a lot of businesses have had trouble, you know, staffing, and the home health agencies have have really also been hit by it. it you know, they're, it's just harder for them to find people than that they used to, just just like everybody else. You know, there's some very good people who work in these agencies, but unfortunately, because, you know, they just can't get paid that much and, um, and, and it, it makes it difficult. So hopefully that will straighten out that eventually more people will start coming into this business because a lot of the ones that I've known have really enjoyed the work. Uh, but, but yeah, so that's, that's made it a little tight right now too. And, and a lot of the uh, senior communities, the uh, independent and assisted living places have had some trouble keeping staff. Just again, just like restaurants and every other business in this country these days. Sure, sure. Yeah, and um, the shortage of caregivers—that's we keep hearing about that. And I think you're right. I mean, just the demographics alone, um, you know, really tested the availability. But certainly with COVID and people pulling out of the job market and moving into other areas. That's complicated yeah. and it's really exacerbated the shortage. Yeah. So um, your your message is, uh, your information that you'd like to impart with others is helping parents live at home, aging in yeah. place, right? And yeah. I, I think that's a, a great goal. I think that's so important. So tell us your your reasons. Why? I mean, you touched on it earlier about some of the retirement communities and ALFs, but what are your thoughts about aging in place? Why is this so important? It, it, you know, it's important, again, as I said earlier, for people to live around people of all different generations, to not be segregated, uh, to not, you know, old people here, young people there. I remember when I went to college at the University of Iowa, and I came home for Thanksgiving, and it was so odd because I realized that for two months I hadn't seen anybody over 25. <laughs> and that felt weird. That It didn't quite feel right. It's just so important for our communities and for the people who live in them that we, that we know people of, of all different generations and that we have those experiences and that we annoy each other and, and do nice things for each other. It's part of being human. Yeah, the whole intergenerational mix, um, that's crucial. I had a guest on a few weeks ago on my program, and she's the executive director of a retirement community that's placed smack in the middle of a college um, it, mm. it, um, and purchased uh, New York. Uh -huh. And, you know, we, we discussed this very topic, the importance of sharing and the students learning from the older adults and the seniors learning from the students and attending classes and all of that, and that makes for a very rich living environment. I love that. I love yeah. that. Yeah, look it up. Um, Broadmoor, I believe it's Broadmoor, um, Senior Living. I will, because I have some ideas about some things I would like to do, so I will definitely be contacting people there and finding out what's going on. Mm -hmm. um, so what are the kind of directions for adult children um, in terms of 
doing what you did with your dad and you know what do they need to know what kind of systems do they need to be aware of what do they need to be the good most, at the most important thing you're good at being a family member but the most important thing is that people understand that they're not going to be able to do this on their own and again a lot of families have a lot of different uh economic situations and i know that matters uh, but one of the things I write about in my book is how you can get creative about that. For instance, if, you know, a lot of people, especially older people, belong to churches. A lot of the churches have organizations where they can get people to come and help. For I mean, the church, a lot of the churches have something called Stephen's Ministry, which is like a uh, peer counseling type of situation where they're trained and um, and supervised. But you can call the church and see if they have that, if somebody would like to come out. I tell you, when I was with Dad, one of the biggest mistakes I made was this. At, when I when we first started, you know, just the two of us, we'd go to the grocery store, and he'd go his direction, and I'd go my direction. And he always took a few minutes longer than I did, but it wasn't that big a deal. But it started to get longer. Like, I'd, I'd have to, like, wait a half an hour for him. So the mistake I made was that I would uh, just... I'd say, Dad, write me a list and I'll go get your groceries. Well, the mistake was is that, number one, he wasn't getting out of the house. Number two, he didn't have the autonomy to buy his own groceries. So what we did was we found an, a neighborhood a woman who had young children, and, and she, couldn't, she didn't want to work because she wanted to be with her children and, and couldn't work anyway because she needed to be with her children. But, you know, for $15 an hour, she was perfectly happy to take Dad to the grocery store. And and he could be as slow as he as he needed or wanted to be because, you know, she was getting paid by the hour. She wasn't impatient like I was getting. And then because I didn't have to spend, you know, that that long period taking him to the grocery store, he and I could do more fun things together. So that the time we had together was actually fun. So what I suggest, and again, I know it's different for different families, but you know, you do the things that are fun and that are enjoyable with your parent, and as much as possible. The, the things that you don't enjoy doing. Have somebody else help them with if they need it, but also very much encourage them to do as much as they can on their own. Yeah, I agree. That's so important. It's It can be faster when we do it for somebody. I mean, I, I saw this uh, countless times in long-term care nursing homes, and, you know, I would always encourage nurses and CNAs to allow the person to do mm-hmm. whatever they can for himself or herself, getting dressed, hygiene, all of that. Because it might be faster, but um, when we do it for them, it creates that dependency and it helps yep. you know, to kind of kind of hasten their. Exactly. Uh, I'm so glad you did that. I wish more places would do that. Uh, it, it's it's the way to go. Yeah, and that's I'm good point. That, he, I mean, he let the, he let. I had two Dalmatians at the time. He let them in and out. And he would go to the kitchen and he would load and empty the dishwasher. Now, he had to sit on his walker to do it. And it took a long time. But so what? <laughs> so what? It took a long time. I mean, it, it didn't bother me. And he usually did it while I was at work anyway. Just, But they need to have things to do. Sure. Yeah, and that's a good tip. Um, rather than spend time that's maybe a little bit tense or frustrating or <laughs> impatient, uh, let's yep. see if we can get someone else to help with some of those tasks and reserve the time together in a more positive way. I like that. By the way, besides, again, like the, the, you know, there might be a young mother in the neighborhood who wouldn't mind picking up a few extra dollars. I know where I live in Raleigh, North Carolina, 
high school kids are all required to do some volunteer work before they can graduate from high school. So, you know, if that's true where you live, contact a local high school and find out if there's a kid who'd like to come over and play cards with your parents or take them for a walk. And and they're going to be getting school credit, so they're happy. Again, and it also gives them more contact with younger people and more contact with other people because they don't want to just see your face. (laughs) They want to see other people. Yeah, continue to mix, offer that stimulation Mm -hmm. and interchange. So what about health care? Um, doctor visits, managing uh, medication, all of these items. How do you help adult children kind of learn what they I, and, uh, I All right. I did things a little different. Now, I understand that you know some parents that are living with their children can't do this on their own. So I get this. But So what I'm talking about is the ideal. But I didn't take Dad to the doctor. Uh, when he was driving, he went by himself. And when after he couldn't drive, Raleigh has a cab that would pick him up for a dollar each direction and door to door and take him wherever he wanted to go. Uh, One of the reasons for this, again, it gave him more independence. But the other problem that that really bothered me was as dad started to get older and I was there, you know, dad would ask the doctor a question and the doctor would look at me and give me the answer. And when he when I wasn't there, when it was just dad they had to talk to him. And that's really what they needed to do. Now, like anybody else, when he had his heart surgery, I went with him for the post-op conversation because everybody, I don't care if you're 30, if you have a serious surgery, you need to have somebody with you when you go to post-op because you you just need more people to listen. But for day-to-day things, I mean, I took him to his eye doctor because he had to have, he had macular degeneration. So he had to have shots in his eyes. So I took him there because obviously he couldn't get there on his own. But everything else, as much as possible, he did on his own. There's also something to look into, which we did get after a while. Around here, it's called doctors making house calls. There are more practices where they will do that. Now, they will charge you. I mean, it's costly because they will charge you for the time it took them to get to your house. And, you know, insurance doesn't pay that. But if you can't afford it, that's a wonderful thing to have also. And Medicare really does, I mean, they, they gave dad a nurse for uh, for about three years. And for six months of those years, she, she was coming three times a week because he needed it. But you have to do some advocating for that because, again, the tendency is, well, why don't you just put him in a home? <laughs> because he'd be unhappy in a home, and so he's not going to go there. Yeah, let somebody else handle all of these responsibilities. It does uh, take a lot of um kind of research and, you know, looking to see what resources are available. And as you say, um, letting the parent visit the doctor on his own or her own and so that the information is shared between the provider and the patient rather than the um, provider and the uh, intermediary. Right. I, I like right. that. Sure. And, yeah. and again, most people really can do it on their own. Some can't. And again, I'm not, I'm not, you know, fanatical, where I think everybody has to. But you'd be surprised how many people really can do that on their own. Yeah. What you're really talking about a lot is encouraging this independence and not building that dependency, not not interfering with the person making, you know, their own decisions and really letting him kind of live his own life and not interfering. Even though it's, you know, as I said, it's faster, maybe it's quicker, maybe it's done better when we do it, but that diminishes the, you know, the mm-hmm. reality of the situation. You're right. You're right. Exactly. 
Exactly. Yeah. What about um, financial decisions? Where do the adult children come into play here? Well, again, it depends on who your parents are. Uh, you know, dad. I mean, dad was right paying his own bills and writing his own checks right up until the end. What we did was, uh, I mean, I didn't charge him any rent, but we split the utilities in half. And, uh, you know, and but it was going to be different for different families. I do want two things to remember, though. One is, is make sure that those things are talked about and settled before you move in together. Uh, you don't want somebody moving in and then all of a sudden saying, oh, wait a minute, I didn't know that. You want to handle, you want to get all that stuff down on paper, almost like a contract, although not quite so formal before they move in, and you do not want to mix monies. Uh, you know, his money was his money, and, and he gave me a check for half of, the, uh, half of the utilities. But it's very important that they have their money, and I had my money. But again, it's going to be different from family to family, depending on the financial situation, number one. But I, and again, I would even say, even if your parents have hardly any money and you're doing fine, let them pay for something. Let them pay for something. Uh, and dad always, whenever we went out, dad always insisted on paying because he, because again, he was living rent free and, and, but, but it's not even the money there. It was so important to him to be able to pay for a dinner out. Yeah. Well, you know, I think, uh, in many ways, your situation might have been easier than if there was a mix of, uh, adult children in the family, like several siblings, especially yes. disagreement, you know, because that's very much common as we know. And, if you have the one-on-one -on -one relationship, that's ideal. But sometimes there's a brother or a sister who may not agree with that approach. Well, I and, and I was lucky. I have a brother. However, he was in California. So yeah. he did disagree on some things. But it was, you know, you're very right. And I'm glad you brought that up. And also, frankly, I didn't have a husband. So that made it easier. It, I'm not saying it can't work if you're married or have children at home. It's just a different situation. And, you know, sometimes I, I will be more than happy to talk with people about their particular situation and help them kind of figure out, well, you know, yeah, your book is fine and the way you did it was fine. However, I have a husband and a, you know, 30-year-old daughter who's still living at home uh, and, and really help them figure that out and, and kind of look at what the problems are. Yeah. Yeah, everyone has their own mix of variables, right? It doesn't mean it can't work. It just means that you might need a little more consultation to do that. Sure. Yeah, especially when there's a disagreement about selling the home or, you know, should dad mm -hmm. or mom live in, you know, with me or should we live with somebody else or, yeah, all kinds of decisions. And uh, yeah. I guess what you're saying is the, the process is more important than the content. And that is make sure you you tackle these topics you you know you discuss them and find ways to move forward and find exactly. except and that it's know, clear that that it's clear yeah that it's very clear what's going to happen and who's going to pay for what that's yeah. so important in the future sure what about um, you have a, a love system I mentioned that in the intro L O V E what's that all about gives you a framework for doing this the L from with the love is letting go. And, and let me tell you, my father, my mother was a little difficult, but my father, who I had for five years all by myself, was one of the most uh, wonderful men you, man you ever wanted to meet. He was so easy to get along with. However, I remember one time, he, I, I, I was going upstairs, he asked me to do something or he didn't, and all of a sudden it flashed through my mind about some uh, choir concert that he missed when I was, you know, in high school. 
And I'm like, well, now where did that come from? When, when you're living with somebody, especially when the situ- you know, with the kind of dynamics, stuff like that can happen. So what I suggest is, is that people sit down beforehand and you write out all, write out all the things that you're, all the ways your parents disappointed you or all the, th- or that they did something better for your sibling or what, just write it down. And I don't care how petty it sounds, write it down because it, because it comes to your mind, it's in your head, write it down. You want to get it out of you. And then you go through them all and you say, well, this one, this one, you know what, now that I look like, for instance, my father missed a, you know, a concert when I was in high school. Well, that's a little silly, you know, 50 years later. So I could kind of laugh at that one, but it was out of my head. And that's what's important. Some of them are a little more important. And you say, well, you know, well, gosh, this is important because dad has this way of, uh, uh, I don't turning all the lights on. That's not a good example, but but something that annoys me. But that's but but again, you know it ahead of time. So you're either going to say, well, you know, we're going to get dad to change, or I'm just going to learn to live with it. But again, you've gotten it out of your head onto the paper where something can be done about it. Mm-hmm. And and, the, and you know you do that about a lot of things. So but but again, and by the way, anything that you write on that paper, do not show to your parents. It's going to do no good. This is strictly for you to see what, you know, see what kind of garbage you're still hanging on to so that you can, and again, there's the L, let it go. The, the O stands for organization. And again, you've got to have a team. And even if it's a volunteer from the church and a, and a volunteer from high school and a woman down the street who works for an hour a week, you still need a team. And it could be family members, but you, you can't do it all by yourself. If for no other reason your parent wants to see somebody besides you, they get sick of just looking at your face all the time. Even, you know, you go out into the world and you do your job and you see people, but, you know, they want to see somebody besides you, just like you want to see other people. So, but the organization is a matter of, you know, working that out, figuring out what you're going to need and how you're going to get it based on what you can do, what your financial resources are, and, you know, what's available in your neighborhood and what your parent needs. The V is to value. And again, that we kind of talked about that a little earlier. Everybody needs to know that they have some value. My dad, I mean, I really, I'm mean, actually, I had two big Dalmatians and they were old, so they couldn't stay in the house all day. They needed to be let in and out. So he was actually doing me a very good service. And so it wasn't like I found him some busy work. It was a good service and I could go to work knowing that the dogs were going to be let in and out. That's all he, that's about all he could do, but that's all I needed. So that was great. And again, he would empty and load the dishwasher. So finding some va- finding a value of, of what they could do as to where they are, and also valuing yourself in your own time, so that you know that that what you're doing while you're not perfect is good enough. D. W. Winnicott, who was a child psychiatrist and, and analyst way back in the '50s, but he came up with a phrase, and this was back when everybody was blaming mothers for everything. And he came up with a phrase, he said, all anybody needs is good enough parenting. Well, when you're taking care of your parents, all they need is good enough too. And sometimes if it's too good, it could become more of a problem anyway. So value yourself for what you're doing and do try, of course, to, to, to keep what you do for them to be in the, in the front area and not, as, not so much in the drudgery. The E, again, is just to sit down periodically once every six months and say, well, how are we doing? You know, is mom getting to all of her doctor's appointments? How is her health still? Uh, how, how is, does she like the people that are coming to help? 
um, just kind of evaluating it. And most of the time you'll say, well, you know, things are working pretty good. We're okay. Or you might want to tweak a little bit, or you might need to change, you know, you might need to change a whole person out. But, but that's important to do once every, depending on the situation, about once every six months. Yeah. And waiting too long makes that list longer, of course. So keeping it And more complicated, not just longer. Yes, it does, but also more complicated. So yeah. And heavier too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then you get to the point where it's so long, you just, I, I can't even do it. And then it gets longer. So, yeah. So, sure. do, so, so make sure you do it on a regular basis, whether it's three months or six months, make sure you do it on a regular basis. Yeah, that's a great list. I like that. L for letting go, be ready to let go of some of those old hurts or disappointments or resentments and um, get that off your chest. Not necessarily yes. share it with them. Not folks. to them. Not yeah. to them, but for yourself. Yeah. yeah. And the O for organization, be prepared. Get the team, get the resources in the community, get to wherever is needed, whatever your financial means will allow. But have this plan for support, whatever you can hold together. Yeah. And the value, make sure you offer opportunities for the person to feel value to still have that sense of purpose and, and meaning and that goes a long way I agree because that can overweigh any kind of physical decline as long as we have some sense of uh, you know strength and you know kind of our own value in, in our own mind that can outweigh that poor eyesight and poor vision and needing to mm-hmm. gain all that yeah that's good and E for evaluate just uh, just do some status checks how are we doing? What can we fix? I think that's important, especially to point out what's going right. It's easy to find out what's going wrong. But let's, exactly. Let's exactly. put the spotlight on what we're doing right. Hey, uh, exactly. I'm really glad that you're still doing this, or I'm really glad that we can talk about that. So let's point out some of these some of these successes, because that's what builds the progress and you know, kind of allows for more of that. I want to add one more thing, and this gets what you were talking earlier about. It is more complicated when you have siblings. Sometimes it's better, but most often it's more complicated. Uh, for instance, like if you need to spend some money remodeling a bathroom to make it safe for your parents, use your parents' money for anything like that. Or any, anything, and, and daddy, dad didn't have a lot of money at all. He, he couldn't have even afforded to go to an assisted living, but, but, like when he decided he wanted to have someone come in during the day for a few hours, he paid for that. And here's the deal, because when they die and you have siblings, your sibling most likely is not going to say, well, gee, you did all this and you built that bathroom. So I'm so we're going to pay you back for that. That's not going to happen. I'm just going to tell you if you think it's going to happen. I mean, maybe, but it's not going to happen. So in order to avoid fights with the family, mom or dad, as much as they can, they pay for their own care. And again, any renovations that need doing, they pay for that. And then that way, whatever money's left over, then, you know, you all split it up fine. And there's no you, you seeing resentment because you had to spend all this money while they were alive. Hmm. Yeah. Don't expect to get it back when the... Uh, no, no. Siblings will not look at it. I mean... Rarely yeah. will siblings look at it that way. So just be, just just to avoid family confrontation, just get it done ahead of time. Good, good advice. Good advice. What about when we have to work, when the adult child has to work and we have mom or dad in the home and 
you know, how do you how do you balance those two worlds? Well, you go to work, and you 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 can call them. You go to work if they need if they're gonna if they can't prepare lunch, then you have somebody come in and get them lunch. But you go to work. I mean, you know, this idea. I mean, if your parent has like advanced Alzheimer's, that's a whole different situation, and that's not what I'm talking about. But you know, I don't know where people get this idea that if they have an older person living in the home, that person has to be constantly watched because it's not the case. I even I, I used to have this. I used to visit people in their houses for therapy. And I had this woman who actually had advanced Alzheimer's. I'm not recommending this, by the way, but she had advanced Alzheimer's. And she lived in her townhouse all by herself. Her daughter lived like a block away, but she lived in her townhouse all by herself. And every night, as many times as I saw her, the night before, she'd call me up and she'd say, I have your name here. Who are you and why are you coming? And then the next day I'd go and knock on the door and she'd say, who are you and why are you here? Now, we could do therapy, believe it or not. But the point is, and I'm only mentioning this story not to say that it should be tried by very many people. Her house is spotless, by the way. But you'd be surprised. They, they don't need to be watched over all the time. And in fact, it's not good for them. Uh, so go to work. Um, you know, again, unless, unless if, and if they need massive nursing care, like if they're bedridden, you know, have your doctor write a prescription to have Medicare send somebody over to do that because Medicare will do that. You don't have to stay home and do it. You need to have your life, and you certainly most likely need the income from your job. Of course. Of course. Now, it occurs to me as we talk about these different situations, the older adult could be living in their own home, his or her own home, and the adult children are living separately. It's not. I'm so glad you mentioned that. Keeping your parents home and keeping their home. Yeah, but if your father was living with you, that's one thing. But when he's living in his own home or his own apartment, that puts a little different uh, perspective on things, right? Right. I will tell you this. I mean, if that's what they want to do, that's fine. Uh, As long as, you know, for me, it would have put, I mean, dad couldn't do it anyway because he couldn't afford an apartment. His social security was very low. But it would have been more stress on me because then I would have, I would have felt the urge to have, like I would have had to go see him every night. And the way it was, like I, I had two bedrooms downstairs and he had a living room and a bed and a, and a bedroom. And I would come home and a lot of nights I would come and sit and we'd watch TV or I, or, but a lot of nights I'd just come in and say, hi dad, how you doing? And I'd go upstairs and do my thing upstairs. For me, it was much easier to have him in my home because, again, I didn't have to – because I would have felt a pressure to make sure, sure. that I visited him often enough. This way, I got to see him twice a day. Even, if, even again, if it was just to say hello, I got to see him twice a day. Uh, but, yes, it can, but keeping your parents home can mean staying in their own home. And, again, it, it may or may not mean that, they, that they're going to need more help. You know, don't assume they're going to need more help, and especially if they have friends in the neighborhood – you know, a lot of uh, people who have lived in the same neighborhood for 40 years know who their neighbors are. So they may not need as much uh, as as they as like my dad had moved here from California. So he you know he didn't know anybody. But don't assume that your parents can't be in their own home either. But again, then you want to give them a lot of information about uh, how to get things done that they can no longer do. Like for instance, you know, I know you love to I know you love to plant flowers and do that, but Let's, would you like, there are people who will come and mow your lawn because that's kind of strenuous work for you. Um, so, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because, yeah, sure. that, staying yeah. home can mean staying home, too. Yeah, different perspectives, of course, and different responsibilities. 
uh, depending <laughs> on where parents are living. Yeah, that's important. Um, tell us about your YouTube channel, Age Out Loud. What's what's on? Oh, I'm glad you brought that up. Well, it's on YouTube. It's called Age Out Loud. I have several different um, playlists. One of my favorites, by the way, when Dad, when I was at six months old, my mom and dad bought their first of three small town weekly newspapers in Iowa. And when dad was 91, I sat him down. This was back when YouTube would only take like four minute videos. I sat him down and I had him talk about this. And when I, and when I first started, because he was kind of shy, he's like, oh, I don't have anything to say. It didn't take very long before I'd have to say, dad, we're at four minutes. We have to stop now because he had so much to say. So one of the playlists there is my dad. Another one, I have this wonderful 87-year-old flamenco dancer who does an amazing dance, and she reads poetry she wrote. I also have, and this is very important, I have a playlist that I did that is about 12 videos, and the, the heading of it is just because you're old doesn't mean it's dementia. And I list all of the different things that, because dementia isn't technically a thing. Dementia is a grouping of symptoms that, that all that seem to look alike. However, just because you have those symptoms doesn't mean you have dementia. Uh, it could be as we get older, I'm sure you know this, as we get older, a UTI tends to look more like dementia than it did when we were younger. It could be because we're on, somebody's on way, way too many medications that are interacting with each other, so they look like they have dementia. I mean, there's all, it could be depression. It could be all sorts of things. And one of my concerns is, is that when somebody's of a certain age and they have gray hair and they go to the doctor with these symptoms, it's so easy to just call it dementia. My recommendation to people, whether it's you yourself or whether you're doing it for a loved one, if a doctor gives you a diagnosis of dementia, which you might have, people have it, but the first question that you want to ask is, if I were 45 years old, what else would you be looking for besides dementia? Yeah, that's a good way to question that diagnosis, sure. Really, another conversation, and we might want to do this sometime because I agree. Um, dementia is a collection of symptoms. It's a syndrome, and it doesn't necessarily say anything about reversibility, or it could exactly. be that it is reversible. Sure, like medication. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Or a UTI. Oh. And I mean, doctors are better about the UTIs now, but back in the days when they would diagnose a UTI as dementia, not only was the person having dementia, which they didn't have, but the UTI didn't get treated. Yeah, no treatment for the UTI. Yeah. These, um, these playlists, are, this is all on your YouTube channel, Age Out Loud. Yeah. Somebody can go to YouTube and just, and just search also, for that channel. If somebody out there who's older has a good story or or something that they would like to talk about, if they would like to contact me, and if I feel that that story is something that would enhance, you know, the, 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 the channel, oh, I would be more than happy to talk to people to see if someone would like to, to, to do something to put on that channel because I'm really looking to grow it in that way. Great. Well, I was going to ask you how can people contact you before we wrapped up, but why don't we, uh, why don't we cover that now? How can people contact you? Well, there's a few ways, and I, I don't recommend the. There is a website you can keep your parents home, by the way, which has some wonderful videos on it of some experts, and there's some very good information on there. So you should go to it. It's not the best way to contact me right now, and this may seem a little clumsy, but the best way to contact me is to go to my Facebook group, which is Age Out Loud, and send me a message through Facebook. And and one of the things, by the way, I'd like to put in a little plug. I, I'm making a course 
which helps people figure out what the best place for them to live in retirement is going to be. We, I start out by teaching them a, a, uh, a program, which is fun and simple, but where, what they can figure out what their ideal day is. And then once they've done that, then I, I talk about all of the different possibilities and probably more importantly, if like say you've decided that you want to go to independent living or assisted living and, and people do, I got that. But what, what questions to ask the salesperson? Cause, cause salespeople are only going to tell you what they think they want to tell you. And, and, and I'm not putting them down. That's their job, but how to ask them other questions. And when they, when they say something, how to find out what that really means. And again, if, and the course is going to be coming out in a couple of months. If people are interested, they can also go to my uh, Facebook group, uh, Age Out Loud, and, you know, and tell me that they're interested and give me their email, and I'd be happy to notify them. Great. Sounds like a terrific course. A lot of information for people on making some informed mm-hmm. decisions like we talked about. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah. So uh, before we wrap up, what would you like our listeners to take away from our conversation today? What would you most like them to take away? Aging happens. However, you don't stop living just because you're getting older. And too many people, again, just like the doctors occasionally do, will look at their hair and they look at their age and and maybe their hip hurts a little bit. And so they assume there's so much that they can't do anymore. And there always is. There's a way to do it. I, what, one of the women I'm doing psychoanalytic work with is 83. And she, up, until like, up until just before COVID, she was, do, she was dancing around. the. She was doing competition. And now, you know, she's gotten, she's gotten a little older and she knows she can't do that anymore. But she still takes a class with her instructor. There's, even, even if you have to dial back a little bit, never stop. Never stop until until you're dead. Because it, once you stop, once you stop growing, it's all over. Whether you could live another twenty years, I say to this to people a lot: Do you really want to live another twenty years like this, or how about we make it better? Yeah. Well, you're preaching to the choir here. If that's the expression. Uh, yeah. 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 I yeah. I agree. I agree. Let's keep opening new doors. We don't know what lies ahead. Let's keep starting new chapters and opening new doors. Great. Mm-hmm. Thanks for that. Great conversation. Um, since we are out of time, though, I just want to uh, remind our listeners uh, about a couple of things. Please feel free to visit our website, my website, living200.club. Sign up for our email list and download a free copy of my nine tips to make living longer enjoyable. While you're there on the website, please be sure to peruse our library of blogs and podcasts. And finally, If you're interested, reach out to me to schedule a presentation for your group in person or online. I think there's value in helping older adults feel inspired about their future. Margo, thanks so much for being a guest on our program today. I really appreciate it. Great conversation. I know our audience will appreciate it as well. Well, thank you for having me. You're welcome. And thanks to everyone for listening to our episode today and hope to see you next time. Hi, 
I'm Lori LeBay, and I wanted to tell you about Alzheimer's Speaks, which is another great podcast. You see, my own mother lived with dementia for 30 years, and I felt lost. Did you know every three seconds someone in the world is being diagnosed with dementia? Odds are it's going to hit your families too. We want to help you connect to services, products, tools, research, and stories so you can be prepared. Please subscribe to Alzheimer's Speaks on your favorite podcast platform.